Good morning. My name is Andrew Martin. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it is my privilege uh, to welcome you to our worship service this morning. It is good to be uh, together with you. And uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So I'd invite you, if you have your Bible with you, to go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And um, you also see that passage uh, projected on the overhead screens to my left and right in just a moment. And as we turn to this passage, let me just remind us uh, very briefly where we have been over the last few weeks. Last week in chapter 22, we found that David, the future king, was still fleeing for his life from King Saul. He had taken refuge in a cave and, and was caring for those who came to him in their distress. And this care for others stood in stark contrast to the wicked acts of King Saul who had had the Lord's priests and an entire town viciously murdered just because he was trying to secure his own throne. In chapter 23, David continued to care for other people. He delivers a city from the hand of their enemies, the Philistines, while he himself also continued to receive the Lord's care and provision for his own life. And finding encouragement from his friend Jonathan and ongoing success and escaping from Saul, and at the end of that chapter, we find David hiding in a place called En Gedi. And that is where our reading for this morning begins. So please follow along with me as I read 1 Samuel 24, beginning in verse 1. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you and today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand out against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. 
May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog. After a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that out of your kindness and goodness to us, you have given us your word. We thank you for this true story of how you acted in the life of King David. And Father, we pray that you would use this time in your word through the power of your spirit to shape us and to people who follow after the king you have given us, who reach for your ways because you have reached forth and taken hold of us and cared for us. We pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, we've all read stories or, or seen movies that have intense scenes of action. Scenes that, that draw us in, that grip us, that cause us to lean forward and hold our breath as we wonder, what's going to happen next? And this is the kind of scene that we enter into here in 1 Samuel 24. The conflict begins in verse 1 where the murderous King Saul is told where David is hiding. In verse 2, one can imagine the camera zooming in as perhaps a stormy look passes over Saul's face as he receives this intelligence report. And without a second's pause for rest, he assembles 3,000 of his elite warriors and sets out to hunt David down. In verse 3, then the storyline leaps forward at light speed, and we come to the end of this menacing march. We then see Saul entering a dark cave in the oasis called En Gedi, which is on the western shore of the Dead Sea. And we are told that, that Saul has entered the cave to attend to a private matter. But then the narrator immediately ratchets up the suspense, for we are also told that Saul is not alone. In this cave, David and his men are hiding in this exact same cave, and we realize that the hunter has unwittingly placed himself in mortal danger at the hands of his prey. In verse 4, this realization is not lost on David's men, and they turn to David saying, Kill King Saul. And our hearts pound in our ears as with great skill, David 
eases himself silently towards Saul. We see his hand draw out his weapon. We see him reaching out and silently cutting off a corner of Saul's robe. And here is where we reach the climax of the scene, the place where the suspense is nearly unbearable. We ask ourselves, will David put out his hand a second time? Not to cut off another piece of Saul's robe, but to cut off his very life. It is in this moment, as we wait with bated breath, where we learn the Lord's purpose for giving us this story in 1 Samuel 24. Look with me in verse 5. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. We're going to explore those words more in, in just a moment. But, but here is the essence of what's happening. In verse 5, David feels deep conviction in his heart for cutting Saul's robe. And in verse 6, this is what he's basically saying to his men. If I reach out my hand and kill King Saul, the man who is the Lord's anointed, I will be sinning against the Lord. And I refuse to sin against the Lord in this way. I refuse to overreach and sinfully take matters into my own hands. And y'all, David's words and actions here are incredibly important. Because we live in a world where we and everyone around us are continually overreaching and sinfully taking matters into our own hands. In my first job out of, out of college, I was working on a ship in the engineering department. And one day I was walking around on the, on the decks and um, suddenly I, I heard this very loud and surprising and, and frankly quite jarring sound. You know, the kind that kind of makes you jump like, oh, what's that? Um, and I looked over, and I see this piece of electrical equipment, electrical equipment that, that belonged to me, because, and it was, it was on the wall, and it was vibrating and shaking and making noise, like, in a way I'd never seen it do before. I'd, I'd never seen this equipment act that way. And I, I didn't know why it was doing this, but I did know that it, that it belonged to me, and that I was responsible for its care. So without Without giving it much thought, I literally started to reach out with my hand and started walking slowly towards this piece of equipment. I see you not shaking your head. And, and you're probably thinking, you're not saying it, but you're thinking, no, don't do that if you don't know what you're doing. And you are right to think that. And thankfully, so was my friend who was standing there right next to me. You see, as I had my hand reached out and as I was slowly, like while well, I was going through water, like in a dream, walking towards this machinery about to take hold of it, my friend more quickly reached out and he, he grabbed my wrist and said, wait, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what's wrong and do you know how to fix what's wrong? And I'll just be honest with you all, this is recorded. I looked at him very sheepishly and I said, no. <laughs> and he said, then don't touch it. And I am so thankful that he did that. 
Because in that moment, I was way overreaching beyond my bounds. And by trying to take matters in, literally into my own hands, I was putting myself and possibly others at great risk of serious bodily injury, if not worse. By, by, by overreaching, I put us at risk of suffering and sorrow and, and possibly even death. And my foolish actions in that moment give us a sense of what had been happening in the life of Israel. You see, as we began this series way back many months ago, we were reminded what life was like in the book of Judges, the time leading up to the story of 1 Samuel. It was a time where we're told over and over again, everyone did what was right in his own eyes which is another way of saying that everyone was sinfully turning from the Lord and constantly overreaching to take matters into their own hands. And this led to deep suffering and sorrow and death. And the book of Judges diagnosed this problem as being because Israel had no king. They had no king who, like my friend, would turn them from taking matters into their own hands and lead them to reach out for the ways of the Lord, the ways of, of life and flourishing. But not just any king would be able to do this. We, we've seen that very clearly in the life of Saul, a wicked king who continually overreached and turned from the Lord, going so far as to ruthlessly murder the Lord's priests and all of the people in their city. No, the, the people of Israel, they needed a different kind of king. They needed a king chosen by the Lord who would reach for the ways of the Lord and lead his people to do the exact same thing. And that is what we need today as well. Left to ourselves, our, our sinful overreaching leaves us grasping at nothing but death and despair. We see it on the news cycles every single day. And we see it often in our, in our own lives as well. Left to ourselves, we, we need someone to lead us away from overreaching and grasping sin and towards reaching out for the life-giving ways of the Lord. And friends, that is why the Lord gives us this story in 1 Samuel 24. Because when we remember that David is the king the Lord had chosen to give to his people, and we see David refusing to overreach and choosing to reach out in obedience to the Lord instead, we see that the Lord is the hero of this story because the Lord is rescuing his people by giving them a king with the right kind of reach. A king who is reaching for the ways of the Lord. And we see him doing this by restraining his own hand from sin. Look in verse 5. It says, Afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. That language, heart struck him, is another way of saying that he had a guilty conscience. You see, in that day and age, cutting a piece of the king's robe was likely a symbolic act that symbolized rebellion against the king. And so David expresses remorse for having done this. And in verse 6, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. He restrains his hand from further sin, and he refuses to kill King Saul. 
Now, some of us may be wondering why David believed that killing or, or even simply rebelling against Saul was sinful, especially in light of verse 4. I mean, look with me there. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as shall seem good to you. David's men, they, they seemed to be reminding him that the Lord had said that this day would come and that the Lord had given David permission to strike Saul down if he saw fit to do so. But if we pay careful attention, if we pump the brakes, we slow things down a little bit, we realize that this situation is not quite as simple as his men are making it to appear. You see, if we look back in Scripture leading up to this time, we don't find this prophecy about Saul. It's not written anywhere. And scholars have offered different reasons for why his men may have said this to David. Perhaps it was their interpretation of the Lord's providential act in bringing Saul and David together in this cave. It's possible. It's one, one way of looking at it. Or perhaps they were incorrectly applying a previous prophecy to the present situation. Whatever the reason, David explains their error by pointing to a key historical fact. The fact that the Lord had anointed Saul as their king. Look in verse 6. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. When David uses the title, Lord's anointed, he is describing how the Lord had chosen Saul and, and set him apart for a special purpose. The Lord had anointed Saul. He had set him apart to serve as the king of Israel. And because the Lord had anointed Saul, David refused to rebel and sin against the Lord by attacking the one the Lord had set apart. One commentator explains it this way. David treated the king properly because of what the Lord had done. David's respect for human authority was based on his respect for divine authority. Yes, Saul was wicked. Yes, the Lord had said that David would be king, but David would wait for this to come true in the Lord's timing and in the Lord's way. And this shows us that David was going to be a king with the right kind of reach. He would seek to restrain his own hand from sin and reach instead for obedience to the Lord. But David didn't stop with his own hand. Look in verse 7 one more time. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. See, David was going to be the kind of king who also exercised his authority to lead his people, to restrain their hands from sin and to reach with their hands for obedience, to turn them from the dark, deadly paths of sin and despair and towards the life-giving ways of God. The kind of king that the author of Judges was, was longing for and pointing to. The kind of king that the Lord would graciously give his people in David. And, and y'all, this, this is the kind of king that, that we need. It's the kind of king that, that we should long for. A few years ago, before moving to Roanoke, 
um, I was listening to a man share some of his life story. And he talked about how after he had, he had reached adulthood and he had left home to attend college, he was living what he called, in very mild terms, a disordered life. He was living a disordered life. And as he shared more about his life, he said, in the midst of all that angst and all of the turmoil of this disordered life, he said, I, I wanted something to come in and bring peace and stability. I was longing for something to come in to enter into the disorder and to bring order. Because it was crazy. And by the grace of God, this man found what he was longing for. He found it in the ultimate heir to the throne of David. And he said that, that this was one of the key things that the Lord had used to draw him to the Christian faith. The beauty of the order that King Jesus, through his loving rule, offered to bring into his life. And Christ brought this order to his life because Jesus is the ultimate heir to David's throne. Jesus is the ultimate king who the Lord has sent to rescue his people. Jesus is the king with the perfect reach. Hebrews 4.15 tells us he never sinned, but that Jesus was always obedient. And Jesus leads his people to reach with their own hands for obedience as well. Listen to what John 14 says. Jesus tells his people, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And John 20 goes on to proclaim that when we believe in Jesus, when he is our king and we follow and obey him, that is where we find true life. That is where we find peace. That is where order is is brought to bear upon disorder. What are you reaching for? In what ways do you find yourself taking matters into your own hands? Maybe like the man I described, you recognize the ways you've been overreaching in life. And maybe you realize that all this has gotten you are fistfuls of thorns. And you've grown weary of this process. And you long for someone to lead your hand to help you reach out and take hold of true life. Friends, Jesus is the king you have been longing for. Whether you are reaching out to him for the first time or you are re-reaching for his ways for the 10,000th time, Jesus, by God's grace, may he be the one who leads us to reach for the Lord's ways that we may find peace and life under his rule. You know, it's, it's, it's really beautiful to see David obeying the Lord. But doing this must have been very difficult. In verse 8 through 11, David goes out after Saul to declare his innocence. And in verse 10, he, he says, I spared you. But that doesn't mean that it was easy. In verse 11, you know, David says, I spared you. I have not sinned against you, but listen, though you hunt my life to take it. David is calling out the fact that Saul had sinned against him in a terrible way. I mean, just, just remember all the things that David has gone through because of Saul's sin against him. He was driven from his home, separated from his family and friends, been forced to run for his life for years. 
And in the midst of all of it, he had received the terrible news of Saul's other murders. We, we don't know all of David's thoughts. They aren't all recorded for us. But based on the events that we do know about, I wonder if David's mother had clung to him sobbing as he said goodbye to her when he left her with the king of Moab because he was afraid Saul would kill her. I wonder if at night, while he was hiding in the caves, if he heard the cries of Abiathar the priest echoing around the walls of the cave because he was mourning the loss of his father and brothers and friends because Saul had killed them. I wonder if these kinds of memories were running through David's mind. And then look what else he says in verse 10. He says, some told me to kill you. After all the pain Saul had caused, with all the voices urging David to strike, how was David able to turn from sin and follow the Lord? The answer is that David was looking beyond his own hands. And he was seeking help from the hand of another. Look in verse 12. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. Verse 15, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. What phrase does David keep repeating? May the Lord. Verse 12, may the Lord avenge me. The answer was not found in pretending like Saul's sin didn't matter. It mattered a lot but it was found in looking to the Lord's hand to reach out with justice. Verse 15, he said, May the Lord plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. That is why David was able to repeatedly say over and over, My hand shall not be against you, Saul. This didn't mean that David was then going to recklessly place himself at Saul's mercy. I mean, we see that he has been wisely running away from Saul and that the Lord has been helping him to do it. And even in verse 22, if you look there at the end of this passage, David is right to not return home with Saul. That would have been a dangerous, reckless thing to do. But while wisely keeping out of Saul's reach, David could reach with his hand for obedience to the Lord because he had found hope for help and deliverance and rest in the Lord's hands. In his time of trouble, David entrusted himself to the Lord. And this is the answer for, for every Christian who follows David's ultimate heir, King Jesus. In Romans 12, we're told, Repay no one for evil. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 1 Peter 4.19 tells us the same thing. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That is the answer, but like so many things in life, it is not an easy answer. We, we know that by ourselves, this is actually a solution that is impossible for us to put into action. I mean, let's just, let's just think, let's think about a very mild example. Think about it when you've, you know, you, you go to log onto your computer, maybe it's the first thing in the morning, and you see in your inbox that name. And before you even open it, you're just, your whole body is just like, oh, 
because you, you have a pretty good idea of what, what you're about to read. And you click on it, and you open it up, and sure enough, all the ah was well justified. Because you are reading something that is painful, insulting, it's hurtful. And in that moment, it is so easy to reach out with our hands to that keyboard and fire off a scathing response in return. And that's a mild example. We've, we have all experienced things way more intense than that. And we know that leaving vengeance to the Lord, trusting ourselves into his hand, that ain't easy. Sometimes we just do it because of sinful muscle memory. We don't even think about it. Other times we know very well what we're doing, but we don't really trust that God's going to take care of us in that moment. We do it for all kinds of different reasons, but the same question that we all have is how can we ever have hope to find rest in the Lord and obey him in those moments? We all, we can have hope because this is exactly what Jesus did. In 1 Peter 2, it tells us Jesus committed no sin. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And because he did this, Jesus was able to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And in 1 Peter 2, leading up to it, it says, Christ, whew, talking about suffering, mild, Christ suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Y'all, Jesus entrusted himself into his Father's hands and he reached out so that his own hands would be nailed to the cross. And because of his sacrifice, those who belong to Jesus are set free from their sin. And because of Jesus, we are given faith to truly trust in the Lord to take care of us. So when other people sin against us, and every instinct in our body and every voice in our ears screams for us to lash out in return, like David, instead we can reach with our hands for obedience to the Lord because through King Jesus we have found power and strength and rest from the Lord's hands. We can reach for the Lord's ways because like David, through the gift of faith in Jesus, we are looking beyond our own hands and trusting in the hand of the Lord to one day set everything right while giving us strength for the day to do what is right. At the end of the scene, the Lord blesses the future King David. And it, it actually comes from a most unexpected source from King Saul himself. Look in verse 20. He says, Behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. 
as Saul admits this, David can be encouraged that he truly can rest in the Lord and believe that what the Lord had said will come true. And it should be an encouragement to us as well because it reminds us that just as the Lord was faithful to give Israel the king they needed, he has also been faithful to give us the ultimate king we need as well. It's King Jesus. How does someone come to this king? How do we enter into the blessing of his rule? Because here's the truth. We've been beating up on Saul a little bit today. But the truth is, none of us, none of us deserves to live under the blessings of King Jesus. Like Saul, we have all done evil and deserve the Lord's judgment. And Saul admits what he did was wrong. Look in verse 17. He says, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. But look what else Saul says. Look in verse 20. And now, behold, I know that you, David, shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. I don't think that Saul came to, to what we would describe as eternal salvation on that day. But for a moment, even if it was a short moment, at an intellectual and temporal level, Saul said and experienced some very true things. Saul admitted that David would be the king, and he asked for David to show him mercy. And out of the Lord's goodness, Saul received mercy. And in order to belong to the blessed rule of King Jesus, this is what we need to believe as well. In Romans 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you hear that? To, to belong to Jesus, all we have to do, the only thing we have to do, is confess that he is king and believe in him as our savior. And when we believe this, we will receive mercy. No matter what ways you have overreached and sinned against the Lord, no matter what, when you believe in Jesus, you will be forgiven. And here's the final piece of good news. Even our believing, you know, like I said, the one thing we have to do is believe even that, even that is a gift from God. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So this is how we'll close. Just remember, we are people who make ourselves miserable with our overreaching and those around us. But the good news of the gospel is that God rescues his people by giving them a king with the right kind of reach. And he makes it possible for us to belong to this king because out of his loving kindness, the Lord has reached out to us. He's given us the gift of faith so that we can belong to Jesus. Friends, by his grace, whether it's someone who doesn't yet know Jesus and is receiving this gift for the first time or someone who is being reminded of it, and strengthen to continually live into it more and more. By his grace, may we be people who live into this gift and experience the blessings of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.
Father, we come before you and we thank you that while we confess that we are overreaching sinful people, that you do not reject us because of this, but you treat your people with goodness and kindness. You sent your son to reach out his hands and be nailed to the cross for us so that we might be given the gift of faith to believe in him, to be forgiven for our sins and to live into the blessing of his good and glorious life-giving rule. Lord, help us to be people who live into this, and God, help us to now go out and to reach out to our neighbors and to share with them the good news of who you are and what you have done, pointing them to the king with the perfect reach. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.